All right, everybody. This is the Georgia Songbirds, and we are here with Miss Natalie Jolie. Am I saying it right, Jolie? It's actually Jolly. Jolly. It's like Christmas. Yeah, Jolly. It was a 50-50 shot, and I got it wrong. That's yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> so introduce yourself, Natalie. I am Natalie Jolly. I am a singer-songwriter. I live in Nashville. I am from Boston. I actually only moved here about a year ago, so I'm new to Nashville, but I am a singer-songwriter, producer, and yeah, I'm just kind of doing the thing. Okay. And I said, we always do audio, so but you guys can't see the video. I never release it because we talked about how bad Zoom is. My internet is so bad. I'm out in the woods, but you've got a oh, painting God. behind you that I really, uh, it's really interesting. What is that? It's like a, I'll say a girl. funny story behind this painting. So it actually just comes from TJ Maxx. It's nothing like, <laughs> okay. yeah, it's not like an actual, you know, like piece of artwork, but Back in Boston during the pandemic, about two years ago, I went to Home Goods for something and this painting was there. And it was like someone had just bought it and returned it. So it was like sitting on the side, wasn't really able to be purchased yet. And I was like, oh my God, I need that. Like, I don't know what what, what it was about it, but I really wanted it. And I didn't get it. It wasn't like available to be purchased. I moved to Nashville and two months ago, it was sitting at TJ Maxx down the street. And I was like, oh. Oh my God, it was meant to be. This right. painting was meant to be mine. And I, that's when I bought it. I was so happy. I like, I actually liked it so much. I took a picture of it and printed it out and put it on like this inspiration wall that I have. And now I have the real thing. Nice. Now see, uh, guys, you can't really see it, but I mean, I assume it looks like there's like musicians on there too. And it's just yeah, like blowing a bubble. It's a girl, yeah. It's a girl blowing a, you know, a balloon with her gum, but there's like Jay-Z, Britney, there's all sorts of like Audrey Hepburn is on here and MTV and all just, you know, a lot of it's very inspirational. It's like kind of just like an entertainment business kind of thing, you know? Okay. See, when I I went and found a years ago when I was like 19 years old, I remember I stopped at like a little yard sale and this guy had, I still got the paintings inside the house, but I, I he had a velvet bear, which I bought hanging above the bed. And then he had a mirror of Captain Morgan. And I'm like, ooh, and I bought that one. And then my wife broke it like maybe two years ago. I was so sad. Oh, um, no. But I only, paid <laughs> five, but I only bought, paid five bucks for it. So it's not like it cost me anything. <laughs> oh, okay. So she can, she can be forgiven. <laughs> yes. Uh, you mentioned Boston, right? So uh, my, my daughter and my wife are actually going to Salem uh, in October. Nice. Have yeah, you ever been to Salem? Oh, yeah. I went every year for Halloween when I was a kid in like middle school, high school. Um, Salem's amazing. And at, in and around Halloween time, there's really nothing like it. Um, it's it's incredible. Salem's a really cool place. Okay, cool. Now you say Boston. I'm, I'm expecting a Boston accent, you know, but I don't hear it. You don't have the Boston accent. It's funny. Some people think I do and some don't. Like when I'm in Boston at home, I don't. I definitely don't. Um, like my parents do big time. My parents have really thick Boston accents. Um, I we didn't really get it, my siblings and I. But when I'm down here and I start talking to people, they're like, you're not from the South. So where are you from? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what people think it is. But yeah, no, it's it's funny. You know, I learned early on in like singing techniques and stuff like that how to pronounce words and I think that kind of rubbed off on me a little bit because the thing about a Boston accent is that it's lacking in pronunciation you know you don't pronounce your r's you kind of slurring your words together a little bit and that's that's what the Boston accent has kind of become it's a lot of like slang and stuff like that and I think just over the years of getting more and more into like vocal work it just kind of went away a little bit which is interesting 
See, now that's so cool because I, as you can tell, I've got a country accent. There, there's no denying what I have. It's yes, just not <laughs> my, my bassist, uh, my band. He has, he's, he was originally from Boston. So he'll do the Boston accent when he's playing around like your mom is calling you. And it's just hilarious to listen to him. Yeah. But it's so funny because when you hear people like have accents and they start singing and you don't hear it, that always amazes me how people can do that. Yeah, actually, the first concert I ever went to was the Rolling Stones. I was wow. 10 years old and I I was like raised on rock and roll big time. My parents are both my dad's a musician. My mom's just a music lover, but they are big into classic rock. And I knew a little bit of the Rolling Stones. I knew some of the music. I didn't know anything about them. I mean, I was 10 and I remember we got there. My whole family went and Mick Jagger came out on stage and they started with a song. And then when the song was over, he screamed like, hello, Boston. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> and my parents were like, you, you didn't know. They were like, you know, from London. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? I'm 10. I, I'm like, don't even know where or what that is. Like, you know, I'm like, okay. But it blew my mind because I had been listening to their music my whole life and I never heard it. I was like, what just happened? See, now that is, that is a very cool first concert to go to for the rolling i've never been to the rolling stones and i love the rolling stones that's come up on the the podcast like the beatles or the rolling stones i'm always a rolling stones fan and it's more of the, the music so i love the rolling stones but anyone compared to the beatles is going to get second place in my mind like there's just no one that is like what i always say to people they go what are your top five bands or something top three whatever and i always say well beatles are like zero so they just <laughs> don't count. <laughs> They're just like always up there. So let's get to the next five, you know? Right. See now I, I just never, I like their songwriting, but as far as like their catalog of stuff, I would listen oh, to. No, because, you're going to kill me here. <laughs> well, no, it's just, I'm more rock. And I think that the Rolling Stones is more of a rock band. And that's what I listen to. Like I grew up with the Eagles. The Eagles are, if you had, if I have a zero, it's the Eagles. So I yeah, okay, to okay. I got you. Yeah. I <laughs> love the Eagles. That's like what I, I really, you know, I grew up on that stuff. Like my all-time favorite is Aerosmith. That's my favorite band. Like mm -hmm. in terms of like what I think is the epitome of what rock music should sound like, it's Aerosmith. Yeah. Um, I totally get what you're saying about the Beatles. For, for me, like I grew up on rock, but I agree. The Beatles isn't rock music. They they like invented it and every rock band alive was inspired by them in one way or another, pretty much. But they aren't like, it wasn't quite there yet. You know, it was still, they were figuring it out. And that's the, that's the thing about the Beatles. that's really amazing to me is like, they like invented these things that are now commonplace to us, these rhythmic things, these harmony things that we now are like, oh, we'll just do that. They thought of it for the first time. And their songs to me are like, I, oh, I could, I like, <laughs> I just feel like I know every song inside out and backwards that they never get old. See, and, and that's why I like, so when, when I talk to other songwriters, there's always people get compared. You're going to get compared to other artists, like the bigger names. You just are because they don't know your music yet. And every kid always dives into music. My, my little girl loves Queen. She dives into Queen. And it's probably my fault because I put her into the, she watched uh, Wayne's World with me. And just after she heard <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, she just kind of went down the rabbit hole of Queen. And she has yeah, good taste. I love band. that. Yes. And so she wants to, so she's in here. I know she wants to learn guitar and I'm teaching her guitar. And so I taught her uh, free falling because it's an easy way to play. That was the and first song I ever learned. Really? 
Yeah, okay. that's so funny. It's a perfect yeah. one. Yeah, it's it's easy just for your like to strengthen your hands. You don't have to do a whole lot of movement. You can kind of stay on the D shape and just move yeah. your your pinky and your ring, and you get your fingers stronger. Yeah. And so I went in there the other day, and she was playing uh, Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's in the blood. It's just she's just coming out. <laughs> yes, and it was so funny because I'm like, that's not what I taught you. She goes, I know, I got bored with it. I, I looked on YouTube and started doing this other stuff. Oh, that reminds me. When I was a kid, I my older brother played guitar, and he was big into rock music too. And I wanted to take guitar lessons, and my my dad kind of dabbled, not like like rhythm stuff. He can play right. chords and whatnot, so he taught me like free falling. I remember the other first song I ever learned was Tequila Sunrise by the Eagles. Oh, love that song. My dad always played that, and my dad my dad's actually a singer, so he's the one who really taught me how to harmonize and things like that. He's a, you know for someone that's untrained and is a businessman by day, he has incredible pitch and always taught me like no like. That's, that's not it <laughs> like in a, you know in a good way but right. um and I remember so I was like I want to take guitar lessons I want to get more into this I was like six or seven years old and we started taking guitar lessons and they are doing the typical you know scales and finger training and like Mary had a little lamb and I'm like this is so lame like I don't want to have anything to do with this and after like three lessons I asked the teacher can I learn sweet child of mine instead she was like you're seven and you don't know how to play guitar and I was like okay but other than that I'm quitting I don't want to do it and I spent the next two years of lessons just learning sweet child of mine like that's the only thing and it obviously took me a really long time to get it and I wouldn't play anything else I was like I'm quitting unless we're doing this <laughs> I spent two years learning sweet child of mine and then I quit <laughs> and I just went off on my own <laughs> see my in my note there's a note in there that says about the sweet child of mine because I, I saw that and it was like oh okay so now you can play even see that i don't know where that is that was under your biography on your website so when i, I looked for it and i started digging like okay she won't play sweet child i was like okay because now you can play sweet child of mine now yeah i mean do you I, have a guitar next to you when i don't do that to me. <laughs> don't do it to me i'm like the someone gave me the best compliment once i loved it um because i put like videos of me on my story playing guitar and mm -hmm. writing not and they said you are the best crappy guitarist i've ever seen <laughs> and they you know they used some language i probably can't say. and i was like that's the best compliment i've ever heard and they were like no like it's so good but you don't know what you're doing i was like no i don't i really don't know what i'm doing it's it's i was never like technically trained i don't know my skills i'm actually taking lessons now because i would love to be more technically proficient mm -hmm. now in my career is really the first time that i'm writing my own guitar parts, writing my own guitar solos on my own. I've always had other musicians coming in and doing that with me. So I'm more into it now. So it's one of those things where when I, when I practice it, when I learn a solo, when I memorize it, I can play it. But then if I haven't played it in a month, it's like out of my brain. It's, I, I can't, it's just gone. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere else. I think I have the same problem. Like, cause I, I like when I'm playing my guitar and I'm writing my songs and I'm like, okay, and I move on and I forget about it. And then I go back. Like when I'm trying to pull my catalog together to play something, I'm like, how did I play that song? And I, I have the hardest, if I don't record it, I will not remember how I played it. 
Oh no. That's like, that's like a really big rule of mine. Like when I'm writing anything, whether it's a guitar solo or just like a song, guitar and lyrics, I have like the craziest voice memos on my phone of me. just <laughs> like, like, I'll be like humming the melody because I don't want to forget the melody. Cause then like I write songs really quickly. So when I write a song, um, it's usually because I'm like bubbling over with some type of emotion that I got to get out. And it like, it gets out quick and I, the song's done in 30 minutes kind of thing. And, and a lot of times it's happened to me if I don't have my phone recording, I'll just kind of keep running with the melody. Like it'll keep coming with like coming to me as I go. And then I run with it and then I go back I'm like, all right, now let's, let's go back and work on those lyrics. And I forget it. And I'm like, Oh, it's the most frustrating thing. You know, and I, I, so now I just record everything and I have the most like gibberish voice memos on my phone, but you know, it gives me anxiety to like think that I could come up with something that I love and then lose it forever. I was going to show you because, because you mentioned that and see mine, I am on, this is one phone five. I don't know if you can really see that or not. It may be yeah. 525 on this phone alone. <laughs> no, that's me. One time I, um, actually one time I was writing a guitar solo. A lot of the times when I write guitar solos, I actually like sing it um like a just a part i'm not actually because i i can't play something like via feel like that's not the kind of guitarist that i am i have to like think up the melody in my head um usually like it, it comes to me in the song like this is how this solo should sound and then i have to like go on the guitar and find the notes and memorize it kind of thing which is why i'm in lessons um because it's really frustrating to do that and i like sang this solo into my phone and I loved it and I accidentally deleted it oh. and I was like tormented like literally tormented and I I was able to call Apple and they were actually able to find it for me and get it back and send it to me and I was like thank you God bless you <laughs> thank you so much you really helped me avoid a panic attack there <laughs> see now that that's cool that they did that because I, I I'm I can tell you I've had the past Luckily, it's gotten better, but the past time, for whatever reason, the past three, two, three artists that have been on the show, they came on, and like I said, we mentioned earlier that this is like a miracle that I'm getting this, this shit to work, honestly, because it's just crazy, and I've never been technically sound, but we, we went through a whole interview, and it was on Zoom, and then when it cut off, it got erased. I'm like, oh my God, how'd I find I couldn't find it, and it, so we he came back on, and we did it again, and then the next guy came, they came to the house. We were sitting here recording a two-hour show. You know, we're, we're talking, playing. He's playing live. Five minutes from the time that it's over, I have a power surge in my studio that I'm building, and it only affected the outlets. So my my when you record in GarageBand, it will save it as long as it's not live. So had I stopped it, and then at any point it would have saved it, but it didn't. So I have to now. I have to take myself to Athens because I told him I want. I'm not gonna make him come back up here. I'll yeah. take myself to Athens to do it. Well, it's so tough because like in, in one way, it's like technology is so amazing. Mm -hmm. And like I, you know, being someone who loves rock and roll, a, a big part of me, like early on in my career, I wanted everything to be like analog. Like I wanted to be like authentic. Like I, I love like, you know, like Jimmy Iovine and like Dave Grohl and those amazing consoles and like, like literally creating music to tape. And I, I think all that is so interesting. And I really wanted to, 
like be as authentic like that as, as I was able to. And I, you know, have pretty much given up on that at this point. It's so much easier and really more affordable to do it digitally. I can't afford all the outboard gear and the upgrades to the outboard gear and the fixing of the outboard gear. Like, no, it's, I can go buy a plugin for $30. So it's really the financials of it, the space of it and whatnot that has made digital be the really only true option like at this point in my career but there's so much that goes wrong with it i actually this song that i released um i released an album 10 years ago this year and it was my like i had a i sold out the auditorium at my high school i was selling it on like i was like selling them for five bucks out of like a lunch bag and it was like my like first like breakout kind of thing and I thought it would be really cool to re-record the main, like the title song of that album and do like a 10 year anniversary release of it. And I'm kind of just playing with it. Like I haven't recorded anything and I'm just playing with the idea. Is this doable? Do I like the song enough to do it? Is, you know, and I go through all my old files just yesterday. And I, I was like, let me see if any of these audio tracks are like worth pulling in and seeing what's going on there. And like, you know, obviously retracking, but let's see what's going on. And <laughs> this is back when my brother and I were producing my music, like in my parents' basement. And it's just project files that are like crash, crash two, crash three, crash four. <laughs> and it was bad. It was on logic and like, oh, it was so bad. I sent him a picture and I was like, I just actually like started having like heart palpitations <laughs> looking at this because we used to work so hard on stuff. And then it was like crash, gone, crash, gone. It's like just terrible. Like we just spent hours on this, you know? Because you, you mentioned, uh, we talked about off air, but you produce your own stuff now, right? I do. Yeah. Ever since I moved to Nashville, a little bit before, honestly, it started during the pandemic. I, um, I had a band previously and I was, you know, my whole life changed over the pandemic. And to be honest, like it was a bit of a blessing in disguise for me personally. Like, obviously I'm not being insensitive to the situation, but I was gigging out four or five nights a week before I was like always burnt out, like up <laughs> burning the candle on both ends. And I had a band. And then when, when everything got locked down, um, I decided to go on my own, do my own thing. And I had all the time in the world to be creative and experiment. And I was already, I had a studio set up. So we, the band was producing itself. That, but I was not doing even close to everything. I was, um, you know, tracking my guitars, my keyboards, my vocals, and I was getting pretty good at editing stuff so I could track other people and edit their stuff. Um, but I wasn't tracking my own bass, my lead guitar, my uh, drums, like, no. So I bought myself a little, you know, MIDI pad where I can program my drums and I had a bass there and started trying to play bass and started trying to write lead guitar parts really just for the purpose of demoing songs that only existed in my head and I wanted to get them down and demo it and, and hear because it's hard to tell which songs you want to release when you haven't like heard them yet right. you know in some some sort of full demo situation so that was the whole purpose of it and then I fell in love with doing it on my own and I'm admittedly a control freak so it makes perfect sense that I would love this because I'm in control of the whole situation <laughs> so I started doing that and I produced my first song called Running Circles right in the middle of the pandemic um like fall of 2020 and I had a friend of mine 
um, you know, re-record the drums, real drums and mix it for me. And that's when I came to Nashville, I was like, I'm just going to do this. And this is, you know, this is the best place in the world to find players and mixing engineers and mastering guys and stuff like that. So I, I assembled a little team and basically I have a drummer, a mixing guy and a mastering guy and I do the rest. And then I send it off to them. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, cause I, I love doing the same thing, editing because people, if you, if you sit down and you go into a studio, it's a whole lot different atmosphere. Like you sit down and you're tipping in a song and to watch it change and to grow. My producer says I have musical Tourette because I will put some of the weirdest things into this song, right? Because like, oh, let's put in a French horn. Let's try a steel drum. Let's see what it sounds like, you know. And I would love to be able to to do that. One is I'm I'm very cheap. I'm just a very cheap person in in general because. <laughs> Like it, like this, it costs a lot of money to do that. And if you write a lot of songs, you want to do, like you said, you want to produce them to a demo. So you kind of hear where you want yeah. it to go and you can't do that unless you do it on your own. And that's yeah. so cool that you can. And like I said, I, I, I'm always the first, one of the, the first song I had my band do was actually a guy I met in Nashville. And this has come up before on the podcast and he was new to town. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to do your, your one song free. I paid him. I wasn't going to take advantage and, and do it for free. You know, I'm just not. So we went up to his apartment and lawnmowers running. So we got to stop. And my band is very Southern rock kind of stuff, but I like saxophones. So we put saxophones and, and lead guitar in there. And I just remember he was so good at mixing and mastering the stuff. And I'm, I'm good at putting it together, but I, I wouldn't be able to mix a master because there's, there's such fine details. Oh no, that's like no fly zone for me too. Yeah. It's another whole planet. <laughs> it would take forever. My little girl just did a project for, I showed her how to use garage band for school. So she's sitting there. It's midnight. I was like, you Cheyenne, you got to go to bed. No daddy. Look, listen to this. Come here. You know, she, she showed me your little project. I was like, sweetheart, you got school tomorrow. Go to bed. But dad, I'm in the middle of mixing. He's an artist. <laughs> Let her be. That was me with my parents. I would be because I, I was a competitive gymnast as a kid and I would have gymnastics practice after school from like I get home from school at like 2 30. I'd have to be at gymnastics from four to eight. And then I'd get home at like 8 30 and have all this homework to do. And then I'd be like up be like at like 10 15. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play guitar now. And my parents are like, what is the matter with you? Like, go to bed. <laughs> and you're keeping all of us awake. I have three siblings and but they never, you know, my parents got it really early. They got it. They knew I was passionate about it. They really just like, let me experiment with it. They let me have the basement to turn into a studio. Like without that, who knows? I would have never gotten into production because you, that's the thing. That's the thing I was going to say about the production. What you're talking about is being a musician. There are so many costs, like, if you can save some in the production end of things, even if it is just demoing your stuff, it costs hundreds of dollars just to get your song demoed. So if you can save, that's where it originated for me was like, and back in Boston, there aren't like, there aren't as many producers as there are in Nashville. It's kind of like a little bit of like finding a needle in a haystack when you're just like figuring it out. You have to like, really it's word of mouth. You got to meet people and then you meet someone and you figure out that their studio is like also in their kitchen. It's like, Oh my God, <laughs> get me out of here. Um, so it's kind of like, it's all about meeting people and finding people that way up there here. It's like, it's so abundant. There's so many studios. There's so many people to work with. So 
I really just adopted this like do-it-yourself mentality. It was saving me money. It was saving me time. It was allowing me to, if I wanted to retract that guitar 7,000 times, all right, all that I'm wasting is my own time. Mm-hmm. I'm not wasting, you know, I, when I made my first CD, I was 15. I, I like, at this point, I'm wasting my dad's money. Like, you know, I don't have a job. I'm 15 and I'm trying to make music. And yep. you, you learn how to cut corners, you know? And the production thing, if you can learn bits and pieces of it is a pretty big corner that you can cut. Cause you were, I was reading that your first gig was at 14, right? You were playing out in gigs gigging. My first residency was at 14. I had a weekly gig every Thursday, happy hour. I was 14. It was like 45 minutes away from my house and I was, wasn't driving. I was 14. So one of my parents had to take me every week. Um, and then it like, took off like wildfire from there everything was like a snowball effect every gig i had i met someone else who was looking for entertainment i met someone else i met someone else and now back i i still work in boston a lot um now i do high-end corporate events weddings and things like that that are you know a lot more a lot more glamorous and you know stuff like that it's a lot I'm, i'm not doing the bar rounds that i used to anymore i did that for 10 years and i kind of just well you you just get it's too much it's a lot it's a lot of late nights it's a lot of eating dinner at 1 a.m it's a lot like it it really starts to prohibit you from being able to be an original artist because all of your energy is going to just like surviving the nightlife routine and not really being super creative (laughs) during the days you're just kind of fried you know Right. Cause you did, if I read it, you had a, you made like a whole, you got a whole bunch of learn a whole bunch of covers to go play. Cause you play, I, I'd rather do original music. I'm the same way as you. I would, I'm, when oh, I go yeah. out to play, if I'm playing at a gig, I'm doing originals. If you don't want me to do originals, then okay, find somebody else. Thank you for, for thinking of me. But you had like a whole bunch of covers and stuff, right. That you learned to do. Oh my God. I, I still do. I mean, I still do cover gigs here and there. Like I said, I do weddings and I offer, live music there and that's that's cover stuff um but yeah i mean i have hundreds of songs in my repertoire and i'm i'm getting to the same point as you where like here in nashville i'm not playing cover games right um and that's like that's no hate on people that do it's just like i'm already burnt out from that like a lot of people that i i found a lot of people come to nashville and they're coming from a, a town where they weren't doing music at home they were doing it in their bedrooms. They have a passion for it, but they weren't doing it. Mm. I came to Nashville, like having played, I, I don't even know how many gigs I've played. And and like, I'm, I'm coming to Nashville with like permanent nerve damage <laughs> on my fingers from playing five hour sets out at bars. And like, I'm fried with that kind of stuff, you know? And also in Nashville, you don't get paid the way that you do in Boston. People here are working on tips. They're like, and that's like, you know, I, and again, if you're coming from a little town in Kentucky and you're now getting paid to play music, it's incredible. For me, I was getting paid hundred dollars an hour when I was 15 to play in Boston. Your live music is a commodity. It is not the scene there. You, if, if you have, know a lot of songs and you are good at what you do you provide everyone it's a whole different world you provide your own sound you are your like here i walk in I'm, i get gigs and i'm like okay do i have to bring a pa system they're like what 
Why would you ever do that? I've never had a gig in Boston where I didn't have to provide a PA system. So it's a different world in a way. It's a lot more work there, but it's a lot more lucrative. So coming down here and seeing like cover gigs where you have to know, I mean, talk about a repertoire here. You have to know uh, every song like you you're working off tips. So you got to know those songs that people request. And that's not the kind of stuff I've ever done. Like I never did the whole like Broadway party band kind of thing. I did have bands and we did those kind of gigs here and there, but that's not who I am as an artist. Like I'm not the party crowd kind of girl. I'm, I'm here for the music kind of thing. Right. And that like that atmosphere isn't where I, where I'd like to be. So right now here I'm doing only original gigs. I'm doing only solo acoustic writers rounds, showcases and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm getting to the point of being in your mindset where it's like original or nothing because you get so sick. I'm so sick of playing the same cover songs that I've been playing since I was 14. Like you have no idea. I'm so sick of it. It's just like, uh, makes you just, you know, it hurts a little bit every time you got to do it. So see, I always looked at it like this. I'm never going to be as good as the original. I'm not, there's no sense in me even trying. So if I'm going to do a cover, which I'll do a few, but if I have to do a cover, I'm going to make it my own. And if anybody listens to the show, they kind of know where I'm steering this conversation. You're about to find out real quick. But like <laughs> my, me and my band, we do, we're doing a cover. We're learning straight up by Paula Abdul. Right. But we're, t- we've turned it into a Southern, a Southern <laughs> rock song. I already love the story. <laughs> okay. Keep going. So, uh, I'll let you hear it at the end. Well, we, we, I've got a recording of us here in the garage the first time we did it. Cause I had, again, if I don't record it, I'll forget it. Yep. So, but we turned it to Southern rock. So when I ask these questions, like for cover bands, which I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a big fan. You do covers your way. I, I, I'd rather you do it that way. So if I'm, I'm on, I got a challenge for you. I'll pick a song. I'll think of it in a little while, uh, some kind of cover song and you do it your way. And then just send me the video. There's no time limit. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Again, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Uh, but I usually take like a weird song and I, I give you an idea and then we'll post it like on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, wherever you want to face it. I, I, I put it on my stuff too. Uh, so I'll think about it. I'll think of that ever to listen to your music, but let's get into one of your songs. Which one you want to play first? Um, let's do your angel. That was my latest release. It came out last month. Okay. Um, I'm going to share my screen so you can see it. Awesome. Yeah. This song I wrote a few years ago, I was living in LA for a bit and I was, you know, just writing every day in like (laughs) all day long. And this song always really stuck out to me. And I never actually fully demoed this one. Ironically enough, it was always like a really weak demo. And every time I listened to it, I was like, this song has like, this deserves to be produced. This song deserves to be produced. And I just thought that being here with my team now, I thought would do it some justice. And yeah, I'm really happy with how it came out. So now the story of it, I want to hear the story too, but before I do that, I, I was watching, I saw a video of you actually doing the acoustic version of this song and what I really liked. And like I said, that's why when you're here live, you can play. That's one reason I always ask people to play live because I want to hear what you sound like live. And there was not much of a drop off between the production wise and yours. It was pretty similar of you playing a guitar. And I really liked that of the, of the song. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I do like to say, because I've been accused of this like many times and usually things don't get to me, but sometimes this one does. I don't auto tune those live videos. Mm -hmm. People are always accusing me of like, this isn't really live. I'm like, no, it it is. Thank you for the compliment, but it is. And like that, I I'm with you on that. If you can't sing a song, 
then don't put it out. There are some songs I've written that I'm like, oh boy, I can't sing this live very well. And, you know, that's that's okay. But I think that, you know, who said that recently was Carrie Underwood and she like got some, got some hate for it. But she was like, you know, obviously she's an incredible vocalist. And she was like, if you can't sing the song, like that's your job. Your job is to get out here and sound good. If you can't sing your own music, what are you doing? And, you know, we all use we all use things to help enhance our music and we all want things to be like radio quality. And I get that. And production is its own world and it's not not exactly reality. But, right. you know, I appreciate that compliment because, you sh- you know, that's what you strive to do as an artist. You strive to be as good as your recordings, you know. Right. And and you should. But like I said, you, you're. I'm always that's why I do it live when I hear I love to hear it live. Like when you, we talk about Aerosmith, when they did the uh, the Super Bowl at Aerosmith and Britney and Justin, mm-hmm. Britney and Justin sucked. I'm telling you, but Aerosmith <laughs> came out there and were live, and and that's that's how they came into the business that time frame. It wasn't about what you look like; it was about can you play the music, and can you sound good playing it, and that was just great to hear that. So I'm, I'm I meant to say it earlier. Like I said, I get sidetracked sometimes. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute us and then play your angel. So just give me a thumbs up when you hear it.
jamming to it. I'm sitting there listening. I usually write notes and I'm sitting there thinking like, there's not much I could say on this, but you know, it sounds, it sounds like it should be on the radio, but I know that they don't put a lot of female songwriter, singer, songwriters on there that should be like Katie Osner was my favorite songwriter of all time. I don't know if you know who she is. She was like in the eighties and, um, but she was an amazing songwriter and I'm sitting here listening to it. And I'm like, why is that stuff not on the radio? I mean, I know it's not the, as you said earlier, radio friendly stuff, whatever that, that doesn't mean anything to me because the people that are making those kind of judgments, they're not picking songs. They're picking brands and they're picking who lines their pockets more. And it's, yeah, I was just going to say, it turns it into this like extremely calculated commercialized situation and mm-hmm. it's like did you guys forget that this is an art they did like this is not supposed to be calculated this is not supposed to be so incredibly like planned and you know that's that's the thing about <clears throat> i mean i could go on about this forever but there's so much discouraging stuff going on in the industry right now and that's not about the artists that's not about the music it's about the business mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Like, why isn't this on the radio? Because I'm unsigned. That's why, because I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars behind me because people aren't looking for art. They're looking for who has the most TikTok followers. Yeah. And it's like, that won't be that me. Drives me <laughs> insane. Like I can't, I'm really hoping that like, you know, there's a lot of controversy around TikTok. And I'm like secretly like, just ban it, ban it, get rid of it. Like, mm-hmm. this has not done anything good for anyone, not the music industry, not society, not America, not our youth, nothing. Get rid of it. This is terrible. <laughs> just ax it. Like, yes. and, you know, doubt it'll happen, but I- I'm pushing for it. <laughs> I'm <Preach done> sister. <laughs> I am done with it. See, I've, I never understood that part of it. And that's, and that's, one is my age because I, I'm always rather listen to music and play. Like you talk about when you're 15 years old, 14 years old, you're gigging and playing in bars and you have a residency. When I was that age, I wasn't playing music, but I was in a pool hall shooting pool, right? 15 years old. I can't do that stuff anymore. But I think somewhere along the line, the when people started losing their their willingness to actually put in an effort and they want to do like american idol and they want to do the voice and yeah it's it's gets you out there in front of people i get that it's a it's a door it's a it's a doorway to 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 path whatever you want to take whatever you want to call it i get it you know but i think the problem is like you said it's an art form and you got to work on your art and when you get into a situation like that it's no longer art now you're in the business and their business is to make money. Let's be real. It's what it is. That's what they want to do. So That's they're what gonna... I always tell people because I, I've never done any of those shows. And I agree with you. It's definitely an option. It's a way to get exposure, like 100%. And I, this, this is no hate to anyone who does those shows. Right. You know, everyone has their own thing. But like I've, I've always told people, like, because when I was growing up, American Idol was the big thing. And I, I, I loved American Idol. There are a few artists from American Idol that I like loved like i loved adam lambert like became obsessed with him i think Mm -hmm. he's one of the most talented singers and you know i i'm a huge fan and of course steven tyler was on the show which helped me in (laughs) it was like legit you know like Mm -hmm. you want idol and you got a record deal with jimmy iv like that's legit that is very cool that is like and then they had like the american idol tours and stuff like they Mm -hmm. really gave you a platform right and then the voice came around and became the most popular singing show and 
you know, every year, like clockwork, every season I get called, come to The Voice, come to this audition, this and that. And like, they also, back when I was younger, I had my contact info online, mm-hmm. had my dad listed as my manager because I was like 14, 13 and didn't <laughs> want people like contacting me. Right. So every year my dad gets emails and he'll like, so my dad's like, kind of always wanted me to do it because he's just like, you never know. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, but... So every year he'll get the emails and he'll forward it to like my whole family and be like, come on, Nat, do it. But, you know, it's, I always say to people, who was the last person from The Voice that you you know, that you're a fan of, that you have their album on your phone, mm-hmm. that you have gone to see on tour? Because I can't think of any. And that's no hate to the contestants, to the singers. That's hate to the platform, to the show, to the, the business model here. You right. know, the business model is no longer... You win, you get a record deal, you go on tour. Now it's like, I actually know someone who was on The Voice and made it pretty far. It was, you made it to top five. Now you have a contract. You can't do anything without us telling you to do so. But we're also not going to do anything with you. So you're stuck in a box for the next five years. Right. What? What? Like, that's that's like a, that's just a nightmare. And it's a show where do they get their money they do not get their money from you exiting the show and taking all your fans with you they get the money from you exiting the show quieting you and putting all the fans back onto the next season Mm -hmm. that's how they make money so they are not in their interest is not in actually making you succeed their interest in is in viewership for the show and when you're done with the show you don't provide anything to them yep so that math doesn't add up in my head for me you know, I mean, I wouldn't sign anything that made me not be able to do what I wanted to do. That's also why I don't am not going for a record deal. Because <laughs> You know, it's like it's the same problem. They just want to, you know, they want to tell you what to do. And it's an investment. And it's I, I understand it from their perspective. I know they have liability and they need to recoup their costs and all of that. I get it. I've read all the books. But where the hell does that leave the artist? Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us in our like in our creativity? Because it feels like it leaves you really disenfranchised from an outsider looking in. And that is not to say that certain people aren't doing it the right way. There they are. There are some people out there reinventing the wheel right now. But the wheel itself, my God, it seems like it sucks. Yeah, see, I, I've I always thought if I if I win the lottery, I'm gonna start my own record company, I'm gonna start my own label. And the way that I'm going to, I'm going to bring people on. I've, I've thought this through, trust me. I've, I've got like multiple ideas of how I want to see the business be. plan. This right. seems, seems thorough. <laughs> so, so, so my idea is like one, you got to play live. I got to see how you play live. There's no sense in, in going off looks, going off of, of your Facebook. I don't care about any of that stuff. That means nothing. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. It's likes you get stuff like that, but how many are buying your music? How many are coming to your shows? How many are true fans and how many are just window shoppers? That's Mm -hmm. it. You know? So that's the first step. You got to be able to play live Two, Again, it doesn't matter about followers. Now you got to be in a setting. Can you, can, can you command an audience? Best way to do it. Go to a bar. You ever played it? You played at a bar. You play at a bar. It's hard to get somebody's attention, but they're there drinking. They don't care about you. Right. You'll get like maybe one, two each time you go that comes up to you like, hey, good job. You know, you know, you, this song meant something to me. But other than that, you got to command them. So I like to see how you could command a crowd and then to get you on the singer songwriter stuff, because the, there's nothing more 
amazing to me than sitting here watching somebody get into a loud room where, you know, even if open mic stuff, it's loud because they've got the, they've got the, the bars and people eating and they're talking and let's be real. They don't care about it. They're there to see their buddy or their, their friend. And then that's it. And then they're, they don't consider anything else. Some places you'll get it. Bluebird, stuff like that. You'll get quiet, but Ooh. it it always, there's something about when somebody can grab your attention with just a guitar and start finger picking and doing a song and draws you in. And that's to me is the magic of, of a singer songwriter of a star. The rest of it, it comes with the money and it comes with somebody behind them pushing. And I said, if I win the lottery and have it, you know, it, it's coming. Right. And, and that's the thing, you know, to your first point about like, who are your real fans? That's the thing right now in the industry. That's the most disheartening and discouraging thing out there because not only are they basing record deals off of your TikTok following, mm -hmm. they're expecting you, the labels are expecting you to have your own fan base built by the time they sign you. Now, I have a question. Is that really my job? Am I a marketing person? Am I a PR expert? No, I am a songwriter. I will go play shows. I'm not afraid to work. I will go out there. I've done it. I've put on my own shows. I have, I've had bands. Like I am not afraid to go out there and meet people and make fans, but to expect that like the artist's job is not only to create the content, to perform the content, to market the content, mm -hmm. but also to Find a way to find your market, find your niche, find your areas within the, like, what are you talking about? I do not have a degree in building an audience. I have a degree. Well, I don't have a degree actually, but I am trained and my, what I'm here to do is to make the music. Your job is to sell it, you know? And it's not, like I said, it's not to say that I don't want to go and grind and go play those shows. Like I would love to go do that. But do I know how to book my own tour? No. And why should I have to do that? Why? Like I, and as, like I said, I'm a very like DIY do it yourself artist. So for me, like I, I write my own music. I produce my own music. I also like edit all my own music videos. Of course I can't video them myself, but I have a videographer. I edit all my own music videos. I color my own music videos. I make my own cover art. I edit all of my online content. I, my whole website, I manage it myself. I send out my own automated emails. Like I do everything that has to do with creating the content, the brand and everything. And then on top of all that, I have to go read books on marketing, which is what artists are doing because the labels are straight up telling you, we don't want to work with you until you have 200,000 followers and 5,000 email addresses. Like it, I thought that was your job. I thought your job was to sell the music, market and sell the music. Now it feels like everything is on the artist. And guess what? The art suffers because you can't do everything. And my big thing is like, I'm, I'm unwilling to do that. I'm unwilling to take time from the music to make subpar content and become a marketing expert. Right. So 
where does that leave me? It leaves me with a ton of music that no one's ever heard. And it leaves me paying for all my own studio time and producing my own music and trying to find a way to get it heard, you know, but it's like, so discouraging that the labels are just outright telling you we don't you could have the best music in the world and a lot of us just don't care unless you have a certain amount of numbers unless you have certain analytics we don't really care if your music's amazing right i'm gonna come on for stapleton to get noticed i mean come on heck heck when that man first started singing how do you know he not know he's amazing right but well, that's the thing. And you think about even only 10 years ago, the industry was completely different. Like I, I was I was talking to this guy who worked closely with um, that band, Augustana, and he met the band. They were like nobodies. And he produced their song, Boston. And that was their breakout hit. And he's like on the week that we released Boston with a record label, like they were signed and it was released with a label. They played a show in with three people in the crowd. No one <laughs> knew who they were, they, but they had the music. They had the band. They had it. They had the sound. Mm -hmm. They were completely unknown and they had a label backing their first hit. The, that in my mind is how it should be because at that point, you're going to get better results because you're doing it for the right reasons. You're signing artists for the right reasons that have the talent. Right. And see the, the way I look at it is, is like when you co-write, cause I love co-writing. I always do stuff. I try to get people to co-write. It's, it's fun. Right. But sometimes it doesn't work as a, as your business, your model, cause you're, you use it as your, your business model. You have, there's certain things you have to do. And like when I'm co-writing, I may be better at a melody. I may be better at, at the, the story, right? There's, Stuff that I have my strengths, my weaknesses on in every song. It happens. That's the way it works. Same thing with the business stuff is there's things that I know how to do. and There's things I don't like I've been for this podcast. I've been trying to figure out ways to, to expand it and get, get more views, get, get sponsors and just make some money off of it. Well, I, am I making any now? No, I'm everything I do. I do for free. What I continue to do it for free. Of course, it's an outlet. I love meeting songwriters. They inspire me to write better, be better, do better. It's, but it's, you got to get a team and you mentioned some, you have somewhat of a team it's like this comes up all the time, but Taylor Swift is like probably the most amazing marketer out there of her brand, of her music. She's got money behind her of course now, but she's still an amazing marketer. So like for, for me, I wouldn't need people to do marketing. I have no idea. I, I, I'm never marketing anything in my life. And I think some songwriters in general are so introverted. They're afraid to, to do that. And, that's another thing. It's like, what's your definition of being a great marketer though? Because I agree. Taylor Swift is incredible. I'm a huge, huge fan. And she's a complete visionary and what she creates musically video wise, content wise. She's just unbelievable. Right. But I remember years ago, her song blank space and her video was one of the first videos, one of the first music videos to hit a billion views mm -hmm. on YouTube. And I remember, I think my sister was like, I love the video. It was amazing. And it was amazing. Like I was a big fan too, but she was like, can you believe it? This hit a billion views. Like this is that good. And I was like, well, yeah, it's good. But every time I open up YouTube, it's the first thing there. Do you think it got to a billion views for being good? No, they were marketing the shit out of that. They were advertising that every time you open the app, it was the first thing that popped up. 
okay, well, when you have that kind of money, you could get anything to a billion. And, you know, I'm not saying that it wasn't amazing. It is. And she's incredible. And she deserves the success. And she deserves to have this money behind her. But I'm just saying, it. think about how many artists are creating incredible stuff. Oh, yeah. That has like 200 views on YouTube. Like, mm -hmm. literally. Like, it's, and, and I feel so bad. Like, I'm 26. So I grew up with the internet and I like, for me, my generation is like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. I am not TikTok generation. I hate it. I don't dance. I don't do, I don't like talking over things and acting. Like I'm not an actress. I'm a musician and it's not my thing. But then I talk to artists that are like, you know, just a little bit older than me, 30, 32, 35. And they are so lost. Like, they're like, I don't even know how to post a reel on Instagram. Like, how, how do you even do it on the app? And it's always changing. And it, they're they're always introducing new things. And if you don't do the new things, then they put you lower on the algorithms. So it's like, I feel like I'm getting behind the eight ball with what is like the thing to do. And, and I look at these artists that have been at this. They're amazing. Like amazing artists at this. They've been grinding. They've put their work in. And all because they don't really care about Instagram, they're not going to get that, you mm -hmm. know, springboard. And it's like, that's just so unfair. It's yep. so unfair. And see, that's what I do for, for the show here. What I always ask my guests, you know, two things. One, you share it with everybody that you know. But two is send me somebody that we should listen to, you know, like I want to hear other singer songwriters and they can be from any state. It doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter where they're at in their journey. Cause I don't care. I want to hear their story. Everybody's got a story. That first step is a story. That last step is a story. It's, it doesn't matter. The whole thing is a story of, of songwriters and your journey and everybody's ends different, but it, we do it because we love it. We do it because it's, if we don't, it would go crazy. You can't, I can't imagine and not being a part of music one way or shape or, or form, you know, I'd, I'd probably go stir crazy. Right. I just would. That's just me. And, and I know that's the majority of songwriters. I can tell your passion. So I can tell it's you too. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's why I always say like, so when it comes to, it's funny you bring up like co-writing because I have like a very love hate relationship with co-writing for me. Like I never did that back home um i did write with my band and i wrote a lot with my brother i've written with like my dad you know so i grew up in this in this like it's not that i don't want to collaborate like it's not from a place of either i think i'm better than you or like i don't want to share the notoriety it's not that mm -hmm. it comes from the fact that the way that i have now created like my workflow doesn't it's not super conducive to doing with other people because right. I write music like I will be the first one to admit I'm a very emotional person okay I am like all over the place right and I always say to people I write when I'm either like super happy and gotta get it out or super sad and gotta get it out so it's like one end of the spectrum where I'm like like you feel like literally like you're about to explode and it's like oh let me go write about it and then after the song it's like therapeutic it's like I can breathe again that's how I write. So to me, it's never made sense. Like, Hey, are you around Tuesday at two o'clock to write a song? Like, what if I'm not in the mood? Well, and, and that's fine too. I, I love the, I love the challenge. You know, I've done co-writing here and I think it's, for me, it's a challenge to have to like get into that headspace when I'm not already naturally in it. Right. So I think that that's interesting, but 
like, I'll tell you right now, I'm not writing my best stuff at Tuesday at two o'clock. I'm not, I'm not in the headspace. And I'm all like, how I write, like I, my song, like I said, usually they're done in like a half hour. That doesn't lend to a super like collaborative situation. So being here in Nashville, everything's about co-writing right. and that's fine. Like my ideal scenario, if I got like everything my way, my ideal scenario is like Aerosmith in the nineties, writing their own stuff. They had it down, and, but they were bringing in commercial writers to elevate what they're doing to another level. That's my like ideal scenario. I get to write it. I get to create the demo and then I get to show it to other writers and help me make it better. But to sit in a room with someone and bounce ideas back and forth is just, it's just not how I flow. And that, and that's fine. Here in Nashville, everything's all about co-writing to the point where I've literally had people be like, I'm not interested in listening to your music if it was only written by you. Mm -hmm. Well, but that doesn't make any sense. You don't even know if it's good or not. Like you don't, you just don't care to hear music. And they're like, well, just let me know when you start co-writing. What? What does that, like, again, the, it's a for me, it's about the music. Who cares how it came to be? Who cares? Like, and I'm like, Maybe some of my favorite music in the future will come from co-writes, but who cares whether it did or not? It should be about the song. Like Bohemian Rhapsody was written by Freddie Mercury. That's it. With one guy. All right. Like, why are we acting like it's impossible? Like that's the culture here that I feel mm -hmm. is it's impossible to write great music on your own. And I, I don't ascribe to that. I, it's not that I always want to be on my own. Like I said, it's no hate. It's not that I don't want to collaborate with people. It's just like, don't tell me that I can't write good music by myself because there's yeah. plenty of people who can. It's not just me. There's plenty of people that write amazing music that are sitting in Nashville doing multiple co-writes a week instead of writing their own stuff because they know people won't care if it was only written by them. Mm -hmm. And that's sad to me. Yeah. And, and well, it's like this, you're in a, you're, you mentioned earlier because you're in Nashville like here in Georgia. I try to get people to write more together because sometimes it's idea. It's more for the idea, not the fact that it's they're better or worse. Cause you can still write your own. I write for the band. I write, you know, I write hundred percent of them and, but I've got them now into the songwriting bug because they're like, Oh, let's write a song. Let's, you know, sit down and that's fine. Now they're, they're songwriters on the song because they want to sit down and they want to put input into it. Mm -hmm. I know in Nashville, if there's somebody's in the room and you write a song, they get a credit. That's just how it works. If they put one word in, they get a credit. It's just how it works. And the fact that they don't want to listen, that that's the issue with as a songwriter. See, I, I'm a songwriter. I can, you mentioned it earlier. Some songs of yours, you can sing, like you can write a song, but it may won't fit your voice. Mm -hmm. So, but it's still a song you want to get heard. Okay. Well then now you're going to need somebody either a to co-write it or B to sing it. If you know, so and, and move it in that direction. And that's to me is where, it gets lost in the shuffle. Like some people, they, they get their songs and they're so, they're so closed minded and so uptight about it. It's like, look, that's fine. You know, because it doesn't always work. It doesn't mean you can write bad or you write good. It's just without giving them a chance, it, it, you're losing and you're missing out. Now, 99% of the times, maybe 95% of the times. Yeah. You're, you're not really missing anything if you're a writer, but when you get that many sharks in a room, they got to eat. Right. And that's just how, how the mentality goes. And unfortunately it's, it's a byproduct of 
of being a town like that. And I think that Nashville for all intents and purposes, what it was supposed to be is just like the music scene. Now it's so oversaturated that you're having a hard time getting to where you want to get. And I think that's where a lot of songwriters and young artists get frustrated because like, Oh, I should be here. I'm so good. I think I'm not new with that because talent's only 50% of how you're going to make it. The other part is luck. The other part is network. That's what it is. Yeah, no. And, and to your point of like, there are so many talented writers that I know. And like I said, these people, they like, it's like co-writing is their currency. It's mm-hmm. like, who have you co-written with? Who are you with last week? It's like this uh, insane industry. Co-writing is an industry in and of itself. <laughs> and the, I, I've inquired with many people because I'm just so curious. It's, it's new to me. I'm trying to understand it. And I'm like, well, what are you doing with that song? And do you know how often the answer is nothing, nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you mean? Nothing. Like there are plenty of songs I've written that I'm like, Nope, don't want that to see the light of day. Maybe it's too personal. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I didn't even finish it. Maybe I gave up on it. Like I, it's not saying that every song deserves to be heard, to be released. I'm not saying that, but you wrote the song, you like it, or you're even playing it out. Like you're playing it at writer's rounds. Are you going to release it? Well, no, it's not really my sound. Okay, are you are you gonna is someone that you wrote it with gonna release it? No, no one's interested. Do any of you have publishing deals? Like is someone else gonna release it? No, we're all hoping to get a publishing deal if some like if someone randomly somehow by some stroke of luck finds this song, hears it, and decides to release it. And that person then gets signed, then we might get a publishing deal. I'm like, that is the most far-fetched plan I have ever heard. And and I'm no business guru, but I'm not getting it. Like in so many, everyone in town wants a publishing deal, right? Because everyone's a writer. How many publishing deals do you think they're gonna give out? I want one too. But to spend every week writing songs that a lot of them don't even get demoed. They don't even exist. They're just on a piece of paper in your head. No, you can't even show it to anyone if you do get an opportunity because who has enough money to demo 10 songs a week and show like no one and they're not even demoing them. And then it's like, just putting it in the arsenal for what? And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not even saying like, I know plenty of people who write music, like my dad being one of them mm-hmm. writes music. No one's ever going to hear any of it has no intention of anyone ever hearing. Like you should write for you, but these people aren't writing for them. Right. They're writing because it's what they're being told to do. They're being told get in as many writers rounds as possible. And I almost feel like this is going to be controversial, but I almost feel like I, from people I've spoken to that I'm like, you're like pimping out your creativity, like use it for like, you are like, you're, you're, you are, you're burning out of creativity because no one can be this creative all the time. Mm -hmm. You're, you're creatively burning yourself out and all in the name of maybe this and maybe that, and maybe that. And, And my whole life is based on babies. Like I get it, but it just feels like, it it feels like it's what we're being told to do, but it doesn't 
really lead you anywhere. It kind of like it, it can for sure if you get in the right rooms. But when you're just writing with people at the same level as you and you're all just kind of looking at each other like, who's going to make it that makes me have a little bit of clout here? I feel bad. I really feel bad. It's not that I have a better answer. I don't. I, I don't have a better pathway to tell these people to go or else I would be further along than I am. I don't have it figured out, but I just right. don't think that what they're being sold is their necessarily their pathway to success. And you're like I said, you're just spewing out all this creativity and no one's hearing any of it which to me is a sin. Like, I'm not saying everyone has to hear all your stuff, but to do that on a regular, consistent basis to me is just a sin to have amazing things just sit there and not ever be heard. Right. Speaking of that, let's do another one of your songs. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <Let> <laughs> me great I'm just like getting all into it here. I no, know. <laughs> I could, I could say that I can tell the passion and I love these interviews when people have passion and we can talk about that stuff. It's, it's, it works better because if you didn't have passion, what's going to happen with your, how are you going to push yourself in a door? Like I always tell people like when you're knocking on the door, Oh, I knocked on the door and nothing happened. Well, how, how loud did you knock? Did yeah. you shake the damn hinges or did you just like tap on it? and like, Hey, I'm here. You know? well, it's also like people always say like the sale begins after someone says no. Right. Like, do you have the, the passion and the, the balls for lack of a better word mm -hmm. to go ask again and to say like, I'm not going to take no for an answer kind of thing, which to your, like what you said earlier, really it's hard to do. It's hard to have that, like that radical confidence as an artist. I think artists like instinctively are unsure of themselves. That's like, that's being an artist. And then we're told to have this like radical confidence and keep knocking down that door. And it's like, doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always come naturally. It's, it's, yep. it's a learned thing. I think also Absolutely. like it's the thing you have to cultivate. Absolutely. I remember when I was younger, I had a, I had a job selling um, golf packages. That's what I did. I was selling golf packages, right? And we're in the middle of a raw, raw session. That's what I called it. So they're all trying to get like fired up to go sell stuff, whatever. Yeah. It, it, you you got to do it. I get it. So I, I'm, what I remember, the one thing I remember from that whole thing though, is this, this girl came around. She gave everybody a sheet of paper. She said, I want you to ball it up. I said, okay. So then she walked around everybody in the room. No, no, no. That's what you're going to hear all day long. Just throw it away. No, no. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that stuck with me. I don't know why, but it did. Yeah. No, I, it, to your music. It's, it's a lesson. It's a good lesson to learn early. <laughs> all right. To your music. Like I said, I'll, I'll get on that subject and we'll be another. <laughs> we'll be here for we, we get long winded. <laughs> yes. What's the next one you want to hear, Natalie? Let's do prove them wrong. All right. I like that. Because uh, so tell me the story behind prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. I, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't even know the story behind it because I wrote that song when I was 16 Okay. and it was about like a guy in high school and whatever. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was about, but I've since rewritten this song like three or four times until it's now current iteration. And this is a song that really has always musically and melodically like stayed in my heart and I was like I just can't let the song like die and fizzle out this song has to like exist and be out in the world okay. uh, and it was one of those songs that my band was a little bit more of a harder rock band um than I am now and it always got shelved the band it wasn't like wasn't hard enough for that situation and 
It was for for me. I love it. So it's it's one of these songs that's always stuck with me. The melody, the guitars, and everything. And this is really a musical passion project for me. This one. All right. Well, I'm gonna mute us and just let me know when you hear. Awesome.
you wrote that when you were young, you said, right? How old are I you? Did. I originally wrote that when I was like 15 or 16. That's really good. I wish I could write. When I, was, I, I wrote poems at 15. I never wrote songs. It's a good melody. I like that. <laughs> yeah, like- it's funny. My dad, obviously, when I was at home living with my parents, I they heard a lot more of my music and stuff, mm. especially when I was a kid. And I was like, listen to what I just wrote. Um, I still but my do that. Dad, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm like, you know, a little bit closer to the vest and I kind of do my do my own thing and I don't really show it to people until I'm ready, you know. But um, my dad is always like, don't forget like some of those early songs. Like, don't just like leave those hanging. And this is this was one of them. There's like a handful of songs that have really always stuck with me. And once I was here and found, like I said, a good team to work with and had like a little bit of a flow, I was like, this is the time I need to release a song just for nothing else, just for me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And see, I think that some of the songs, like if you go back and look at your earlier stuff, like, yeah, you may, there may be crap in your mind now, but there's probably good lines in there. Like I like the line, loving you is not a crime. You know, that's, that's a pretty cool line. Yeah. That, that was an old line that, that carried through. I have had to change some of the lyrics. They were a little bit juvenile, (laughs) Um, but that's why I say, I don't really know what the song's about. I mean, obviously it's about a relationship that people aren't really understanding. And you're saying like, come on, let's work this out and be a successful relationship and prove everyone wrong. That's the, you know, goal of, that's the point of the song, but it's been, you know, re it's not about one specific instance or person and usually my songs are so that's why I say this one's kind of just eclectic but yeah no and and you know it's fun like you said old stuff can have like little nuggets of of good I find myself I'll write a song and I will like write a new song and as I'm writing it I will like just steal something else from an old song of mine all time Like one of the songs that I released recently called What Will Be, the end of the chorus is you and me and what will be. That was from a song I wrote like eight years ago that I was like, didn't like, but that was in the chorus. And I was like, this is perfect in this song. (laughs) And now I have in my project files, like what will be from 2012 Mm -hmm. and what will be from 2022. (laughs) So I just, because they were both called what will be. I just stole that whole line, the melody, the lyrics, everything, and just transported it into a new song. See, I do that all the time. I had a song called each other's eyes that I wrote years ago. And then I wrote a new song called the moment. And in the song, the moment there's a line, they stare in each other's eyes. It's like, I'm just gonna take the title from that song and put it because it fits. Yeah. My phone over there before it's, it's making my my microphone go. Bzzz. Oh, I hate that! I hate that. <laughs> right? No idea how many times I'm like, "What is wrong with my speakers?" I'm like, "Oh, it's my phone again." There yep. we go. Every time. So yes, yeah. <laughs> I always forget the amount of times I've like called my brother because he's way more technically savvy than I am. Like way light years beyond me the amount of times i've called him i'm like you gotta help me i'm having an emergency right now and either like he'll be like well did you just like make sure it's plugged in all the way or i'm like yeah i'm not even checking that because if it's that i'm not admitting it to you right plug it in this whole <laughs> studio setup i have all this gear all these softwares and hey, i didn't check to make sure it was plugged in Okay. See, I, I did that one time. I my motorcycle, I was fixing my motorcycle and I and I needed to change the battery. So I changed the battery and I'm like, all right, I did it, got everything working. 
I went to crank it and it's like, wouldn't crank. I said, crap. So I took it to actually to Harley. And what it was is the damn, uh, neutral line didn't get hooked in. It fell off and I didn't notice it. So it was all they do is hook. It's like, I was like, I feel so yeah. stupid because you're, you trust said. me. Says, what kind of bike do you have? I had a uh, Harley. It was a uh, 09 Street Bob. Nice. I have uh, a Honda 250. Oh, see? It's like the world's teeny tiniest bike, but I love it. Yep. See, you know, I, I was a Harley. On my, I grew up, my dad was a Harley guy uh, when he was alive. And then uh, it just, that's what I grew up with. Yeah. I, I can remember waking up at five with, cause he used to ride, he was a biker. So he had a bunch of biker buddies. When I say biker, I mean like the bikers. So I remember waking up at the house one time, five years old, there's like 30, 40 motorcycles out in the yard and they all crank. So the whole house just starts shaking. You probably don't yeah, get that like with your Honda. Of anarchy just rolled up to your house real quick. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's me too. My dad's always been a motorcycle guy and I got, I got my own bike when I was like 18 um it's up in boston because i only really ride with my dad so it's, it stays up with him so we can go on rides when i'm home but i've always been a, a bit of a tomboy motorhead kind of kind of gal see my my daughter talked to my daughter earlier because she wants to play music where she now like she changes her mind about what she wants to be you know for it was like a vet and a baker now she wants to be a wrestler that's her Thing. she wants to get into wrestling right. she wants to do bodybuilding and she wants to get into music too so she's like writing her own entry music and she has ideas it's so funny and i know it's my fault <laughs> <laughs> well it's, you know it's so interesting to see like what just naturally comes out of kids i mean i don't have any kids but i have seven nieces and nephews and some of the things that they say or that they're interested in, I'm just like, you thought of that yourself? Mm -hmm. You're four. How did you think of that? Like my niece, that's that's four. She's almost five, but she's like, like actually could be a makeup artist. And I'll like go over her house and she has on like perfect black winged eyeliner. I'm like, wait, you're lit. You're four years old. She loves it. She and she's amazing at it. I'm like, you know, run with it. <laughs> like, I'm like right. about to start her like a YouTube channel. Like, go for it, kid. <laughs> you know, make make money where you can. I, I know yeah, my exactly. my son did a uh, uh with the, his what do they call those the talent shows for like mm, elementary school. So yeah. then they didn't really give him winners or losers. Whatever he didn't get picked, but for the first round, but he wrote a song, and he rhymed Jesus with reason. And I'm like, I never thought of that. And here he is, eight years old. And does it? I'm like, my God. I said, I, I, I've been writing since I was 15 years old and I'm 45 now. I'm like, I, I quit. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was writing a song this summer up. Uh, we were on vacation up at my parents' lake house and I was writing a song and my niece was nine at the time and she's really, really creative. And I was, she was in my book looking at it and I had like scribbled like what I thought the name of it would be. I forget what it even was. And she's like reading the lyrics and I already like written it and she's reading through and she's like, why wouldn't it be this name instead? This is way better. <laughs> I was like, you're right. That is way better. <laughs> why didn't I think of that? She's like, it's just way catchier. I'm like, okay, you're hired. Right. <laughs> Thank you. You are <laughs> you be my marketing expert. Mm -hmm. yep. Songwriting credit goes to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My nine-year-old niece. <laughs> well, it's funny. They say some of the weirdest things. And <clears throat> if, you, if you're listening, you can like write it down. Because I did a song from my, my, my kids. I got twins, Gibson and Cheyenne, brother and sister. And I wrote a song called The Balloon. 
And I got it because of Gibson. He, he was sitting there and you know, kids, they love their balloons and they're holding on to it where, well, um, they get out of the car and shy loses her balloon. He goes out of her hand, you know, kids, they lose their balloons and Gibson comes up to her, pats her on her shoulders. It's okay. Sissy, it's going to heaven. And I'm like, Oh, that's a song. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> and so yeah. I put it there. Slow ride to heaven is where it ended up being like the balloon. You know, I'm hanging on by the string. So it's like, Ooh, I got to write it down. And I, I did. I get that from isn't that how Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds came mm -hmm. to be? Mm -hmm. Right? Everyone always thinks it's like LSD, but it's actually like about one of their kids, right? Of course I know. Yeah, because I've heard that yeah. LSD thing too, because Lucy in the Sky like, with the, Diamonds. That's such a like typical, like, let's make this rock and roll thing about drugs. Right. But no, it was about, I like, Paul McCartney's daughter or something came home from school and was like, this is my painting, I think. It's like, that's... That's some stuff right there. Like, and that song's amazing. There's a movie that gets me every time called I Am Sam. And he's singing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. It's got Sean Penn in it. It's an older movie. I can't watch it. It it it, it makes me just cry like a big old baby. And my oh. kids have never seen me cry except for that movie. So they they like, okay, we're gonna get daddy. And they literally put it in and then they watch me. <laughs> yeah, blackmail. They're just videoing you in the corner. <laughs> Like, like no no i'm not yeah. so let's i know you got uh you said you gotta leave in a little bit so let's get your third song in what's the third song you want to do let's do um well let's just do what will be that was my other those are my three newest ones that i've released okay. coming to nashville and as i said songwriter i want to know the story it's yeah what will be um that is about just like beginning stages of a relationship where like you're just in the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows kind of thing. And it's really just about navigating that and like just having belief in the fact that like it's okay, like doesn't matter. You don't have to have a prescribed ending here. Like just let happen what's going to happen, you know, what will be, will be kind of thing. And just have faith that whatever, like that I'm a big believer in like whatever is meant to be for you will be, whether that is something that is amazing or breaks your heart, whatever it is was meant for you. So that's just kind of the theme of this song is just let it be, stop putting so much pressure on the situation and what will be, will be. All right, I'm going to mute us and you know the joke, let me know when you hear it. Awesome. Never know what you'll miss. You can't see what you can't see. By the time you get your eyes open, everybody starts to leave. And I don't know what you're thinking. Are you thinking about me? Why don't you walk on over, put your hand on my shoulder, tell me when we are to leave.
Just the feel, because like I make my notes when I'm when I'm listening, so that I can <laughs> comment on it. Yeah, the, the, the feel, the pace, and everything works in that song. Like I'm sitting there listening to it, and there's a timing part where you go to the snaps, right? And I'm like, something, but something needs to come. And as soon as I said that, he started. Yeah, like, oh, she, she knows. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I like that, and you, you have a good. That was, that was, thank you. I appreciate it. That was the. I had so much fun producing that song because even though I had done Running Circles in 2020, which was my first like solo production that I did, this one like really more so felt like it. It was here in Nashville. I had my own new studio set up and I was really just like in my groove here. And I, it, I spent so long trying to decide like, what is the first song I want to release from like Nashville net, you mm -hmm. know, like, not that I really have changed up what I do very much, um, but like, you know, I hadn't released a song in over a year and it was, you know, we're finally like getting out of the pandemic and it's kind of just felt like a new, like, what do I want to come out with? And I was going between a handful of songs and I just kind of like what you just said. Every time I listened to it, I was like, this song is just so up the middle and like, it's not too fast. It's not too slow. It's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's not like, it just felt like this song is just easy to listen to. And mm. I want to keep listening to it and hopefully other people feel the same. <laughs> yeah. And it, it had a good, like the, the rhythm, the vibe, everything fit and it, it didn't feel long. It didn't feel short. It, it, it felt good. I mean, it was like, as the kids say, the, vi the, the vibes, your feels, whatever they say, I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really good. So I like that. Um, I know you got to leave in a few minutes. So before we do, I've got it. You have time for like a 20 question kind of game. Oh yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, before we get into that, tell everybody where they can find you, any social media, any projects you got going on. Yeah. So everything is just under my name, Natalie Jolly. That's spelled J-O-L-Y. If you Google me, it'll all come up. NatalieJolly.com is my website. You can sign up for my newsletter there. Um, I do not spam people. It's pretty much just when I release music, music videos, stuff like that. So if you want to stay in the know with me and my music, go to my website, NatalieJolly.com. Sign up for my newsletter right there. And you'll see all my social media. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I am on TikTok, even though I hate it, but I am. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so that's pretty much where you can find me. And I 
do have new music coming out. I have another single, but I don't have a release date for it yet because it hasn't wrapped production yet. So I'm not quite announcing that, but new music coming very soon. I got you. Okay. Um, so, um, what did I say? Oh, cover challenge. I mentioned it earlier. I had to read it down. I had to, I had to look at my notes. Um, I had talked about cover challenge. I got a song for you. If you want to do it, you can do it. If not, you don't have to. Okay. What do you got? Uh, Mamas and Papas, California Dreaming. I love that song. I will. Okay. Challenge accepted. All right. Perfect. I'm so going to do like, does it have to be acoustic or can I do like a full arrangement? You can do whatever you want to with it. I mean, you you do you whatever you feel like wanting to do with it. I will take it. You just send it to me whenever you're done. There's no time limit. Uh, you can do it before, after your episode. It doesn't matter. We, whatever you feel like doing. All right. Challenge accepted. I was really nervous. I was like, I, I really hope I know it. Uh, <laughs> so please don't give me something I don't even know. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here listening to your voice and you 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 sound new. Like you sound like fresh, like the stuff they have on the on the radio, which I like. I know they don't you don't have the music overdrive, it doesn't sound like that, which I think is crap anyway. So I like your style. But I'm sitting here listening, it's like you kind of got like a it reminded me of the sixties female singers. Not at, like kind of the rock vibe, yeah. but more singers. That is like way. the best. That's my favorite compliment ever. Well, good. Thank I'm you. glad. So that's something I've ever gotten. That's, that's I've always said I really wish, like, I mean, you know, I really just wish that I would was around to live through the '60s, '70s, that era of music, and in the just the world. I mean, that was like that's my era. I belong in the '70s. Like, I'm a '70s girl, and I really appreciate that you see that in me. So, thank you. You're welcome. Now for the 20 question kind of game that we play that's not music related, but we talked about everything anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But not music related. Okay, now I'm sweating. All right, let's go. <laughs> so we we talked about an hour and a half. We know a lot about you. What mm -hmm. is a hidden talent of Miss Natalie Jolly? Um, this is somewhat music related, but not really. I'm really good at whistling. Let me hear. What do you want? Well, now I have California Dream in the stuck in my head. <laughs> Zoom is so weird. It muted you as soon as you started. <laughs> oh, no. Well, it was really good. I promise. Actually, this is this is really funny. My dad and I are both really good at whistling. And our favorite song to sing together is If I Fell by the Beatles. And one time, I don't know, we were like a couple beers in and just jamming and being goofs. And we tried to whistle the entire song of If I Fell, which has a harmony throughout the entire song. And I have never laughed so hard in my entire life trying to harmonize whistles. It is absolutely hilarious. So if anyone's looking for a good laugh, whistle your way through a song. <laughs> whistle while you work, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if they were to do a movie about your life, who would star in that movie? Playing me? Playing you. Uh, is this like based on at like personality or looks doesn't matter there's no right or wrong answer you can't get it wrong this isn't a i'm not gonna grade you i have no i've mind. never thought of this i don't know the first person that came to mind was anna kendrick okay i could see that because it's music talent and you kind of get the long you look like, like yeah cups. i think we could i think she could like i think we could we have the same kind of vibe i think we have the same like attitude ish and have the same you know skin color hair color kind of thing so i think okay. anna kendrick that's, that's a good one. I actually was watching Pitch Perfect 3 with my daughter the other day. It was on. I'm like, I'm just sitting there watching it. It's like, oh, I like that. I like that. I like the first one the best, though. Yeah. No, she's great. great if if there was a musical soundtrack of your life, what would it be? Oh, dear. Well, see, I can't answer that because I 
it would be stuff that isn't like actually about me. It would be more about the music. Mm-hmm. Um, first thing that came to mind was November rain. <laughs> just because to me, that's just like, if there's ever a song that I wish I wrote, it is November rain. That is the just epitome. And I think like if there was, if there was like a song, if there was like a mo- like soundtrack to my movie, like about me, it would, I'd probably want it to be November rain. And I heard they hated it. Nothing, I don't like, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with me or my life or anything, right. but well, it, song wise, it's, it, it's just my thing. It kind of does because in the very beginning of your journey, you know, you want to do sweet child of mine. You're like, I'm not going to play this guitar unless you let me know. I like sweet that. Child of mine. Yeah. That's a good connection there. I'm going to steal that from my next interview. See, I, I listen, <laughs> I listen, I make notes. I cheat, but I listen. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that they hated that song. Like the Guns N' Roses did not even want to do that song. They hated playing it out. Which Sweet Child or November Rain? November Rain. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. How could they? Right? They're like, oh, we want to rock. We don't do ballads, but they're like one of their biggest songs. <laughs> I can see that. If you could take a vacation anywhere in the world, where would you go? Bora Bora. How come? In one of those little huts that's in the water that has yes. like a uh like a what's it called the slide uh, well more what's the thing a hammock it has like a hammock that's like half in the water half out of the water. i just want to be like where no one can talk to me i want to be like alone in a beautiful i love water i mm. love 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 water like there's something that water does to my mind it calms me down so if i could be in a little hut in the middle of being surrounded by water that's beautiful and clear i that would just be my paradise yeah, I think I would retire. I want to retire on a boat. And I would, I love those. I see them on Instagram all the time. The little huts in the water. I was like, I want to go there. I just want to sleep there and slide in the water and enjoy it. That would be, that would be great. I want to be in like a luxury hut on the water though. Like it has to have like air conditioning and <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like rough it. <laughs> okay. So, so no, so <laughs> but only with air conditioning. Only with air conditioning, yes. Gotcha. <laughs> if you could, um, what are three things on your bucket list? Three things on my bucket list. Well, go to Bora Bora. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm big into traveling right now because I'm planning my wedding and my honeymoon and my big bucket list. Like it counts as one, but like many different places in Italy. I'm a, I'm half Italian. My mom is 100% Italian. My whole family, like that's a very big part of my life is our Italian. Okay. Really going to Italy, it's major bucket list. Um, my biggest career bucket list is to work with Dave Grohl. That's my biggest career one. I want him to produce one of my songs someday. I want to like work with him in the studio. And that is a huge one for me. And hmm, I don't know. That's all I can think of right now. Italy and Dave Roll. I'll stay with that. (laughs) Italy and Dave Roll. That's a good place to be. Because you mentioned it. If if you wasn't doing music, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I'd probably be doing something in the beauty industry i really like makeup and hair and i i like i do like um i've done some like modeling and stuff i'd probably be in that area whether i'm doing makeup for models or stuff like that i, I enjoy the beauty world okay uh, i got one more question for you then. Yeah. what is the best advice 
you ever got? The best advice I ever got was a friend of my father's who used to be in my dad's band. He um, has become a mentor to me. He's the one who taught me how to use logic and taught me how to record my music when I was 14. And he's, you know, stayed a mentor in my life. And he told me, I think this was after my band broke up and I was, you know, just sad and directionless and didn't know what to do. And he said, no one who continue, he said, just stick with it because no one who continuously makes great art doesn't make it if they don't give up. So he says, if you just keep doing it, the only thing that's going to stop you is if you give up. I always think about that. I always think about that. If I just don't give up, then, which, you know, there's stuff happens and it's really like, you know, you get the biggest thing in, in music is to pick yourself back up after being knocked down because you get knocked down. Like even on just a personal level between band members and business and bad contracts and like there's just so many things that can get you down and you need to be able to pick yourself back up every time. And I always think of that, like, well, I'm just going to keep going because keeping going means it's got to happen eventually. Yep. I like that. I like that advice. So I want to thank you, Natalie, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I'm glad we got connected and so glad we got to do this. It was a blast. See, and we did it in one hour and 43 minutes. I gave you two minutes to spare. You know, that's, that's all I need. It's all I need. <laughs> No, it's all set. Thank you so much, Jesse. This was so fun. And I cannot wait to see the final product and do my cover challenge for you. Yes. And I'm looking forward to it, Natalie. And uh, tell everybody one more time where they can find you before I let you go. Natalie Jolly on everything that's spelled J-O-L-Y. You can go, you can just Google me. It'll all come up, but I'm mainly on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and on my website. Everybody, this is the Georgia Songbirds, and that is Natalie Jolly. I got it right this time. I got it wrong the first time, but I can I can remember. And again, thank you, Natalie, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. See you. Bye. Bye.